All right, welcome back to another episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place, and Seska dances to my intro. So uh, without further ado, we're going to let... You're just uh, now noticing. I was trying to be professional. You know, we do that sometimes around here. Not very often. But, uh, you know, professional generally means if we're sober for the show. So that's a start. Uh, see? There you go. We're already winning, right, John? So, uh, winning. so we've got as our special guest the retired Colonel Jonathan Brazi of the United States Marine Corps. <laughs> so uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? <clears throat> well, uh, like you said, I'm Jonathan Brazy. I'm a retired Marine Colonel. I'm a full-time writer right now. I'm living in Colorado Springs with my wife, Kiwi, and two two-year-old twin girls. Uh, I just before this, one of them was crying for me to come up and give her her bath. Oh. So I want you to know that you are making her crying right now. You would build so character. I'm, That's I'm what they blame do. you for that. But, uh, but my writing, character. I've got about 75 titles right now. Uh, uh, mostly military science fiction. I'm kind of known best for my uh, United Federation Marine Corps series. And at the moment, uh, I'm number five on the free on Amazon's uh, Amazon stores free list uh, for recruit, which is the first book in that series. And I'm also my last books were the two books I've done with Jeff Cheney, uh, the um, Sentence to War and Children of Angels, and those are both. Well, I think they just fell out of the top 300 uh, this afternoon. All right. And uh, the next part of the introduction, dear listener. So what did you do in the Marine Corps? What was your? Infantry. Okay. Well, then happy 0331 day uh, for, for our fellow. Well, I was an 0321. So that's uh, it's uh, the, the calendar date matches the rating for the uh, Marine Corps Infantry ah, MLS right. on today. So it's it's sort of a thing for enlisted people. We don't have anything cool like that because there's no like 11B on a calendar date. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could say like hey, November is our month, I guess. No, I don't know. That's why being a medic is amazing because it's 68 whiskey. Now you so know you why to I drink six to drink of them. So that's why they're always drunk. Okay. They had to drink 68 of them. So <laughs> the, uh, the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first met Jonathan. So I actually met him in 2018 at Vegas, uh, and we were standing around the bar, as you do, in Vegas, uh, and just talking. And before you knew it, we were, like, trading business cards, and his stuff sounded interesting. So I checked it out. It was the one about the fighter pilots that you did. I can't remember uh, the name. Fire Ant. Fire Ant, yeah. The, uh, that was the one that was a Nebula Award finalist. Yeah, so I read that one and enjoyed it, and, you know, we sort of stayed in touch, and we tried to have him on the podcast when appropriate, although, as you heard, he's got a busy life with youngins. So sometimes scheduling with him can be a little bit tricky because uh, we don't want his wife to murder him. We want more books. <laughs> She's nice. He might give him a few poisoning though. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so doc, did you know of him before? Cause I know you're, you're big in the author set with the, uh, the, the dragon con. Um, I think I actually met you at Liberty con. And I've been. Yeah. So, cause it, it wasn't, it was pre dragon con. I could tell because the size of the crowd was much smaller. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> my first panel at DragonCon, 
I, I saw the line outside and I'm going, well, when are they going to let them in? And then I got into the room and there were 300 people already sitting down in the room. Yes. Um, the Dragon Con will do that. The one, the one that is fun is when it's, even if you've been to Dragon Con and you go in and it's your first ballroom panel. Yeah, yeah. I, I went to my first ballroom panel in one of the thousand plus ballroom person ballroom as a track director. And apparently I turned sheet white and uh, con ops was looking at my track second going, is she okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm so not was, on the panel. <laughs> so, that means, this. so if it's a ballroom, that means dancing was involved, right? No. No. <laughs> no. And I'm like, uh, I don't have to moderate this. And then the moderator showed up and my moderator was just utterly exhausted and goes, can you moderate the panel? I'm like, spoke too soon. Fate will do that to you. All right. Now you get to ask him the most important question. One of your favorites. So religion, Star Wars, Star Trek or Firefly? I'm agnostic. <gasps> Okay, this is is this a failure to commit? No, because I like <laughs> I um, never heard that um, on one hand. You know, my brother, my brother is one of the people that protested when when uh, I think it was NBC or was it ABC or NBC canceled Star Trek after two years, and he got on a bus and went down to New York and protested, and and it actually came back, and so I was a huge huge Star Trek fan, and then I'm. I, I was going to say I was a friend, but I'm not. I'm an acquaintance of William Shatner, and so I have that whole thing going. I love Star Wars, but I get frustrated with. And I know, I know it's not really science fiction. I know it's a fantasy, but World War II bombers bombing a spaceship and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I, the things I love about each one, but I also got beat up because of Star Wars. Wow. Okay, you got to tell us the story. I, I, at the Naval Academy, you can't really skip school, but I did during finals with with one of my friends, and we drove to. We I had heard on the radio an ad saying, "Don't worry, it's just a Wookie," and then "Whoosh, don't worry, it's just a fighter." And I thought, "What is this? Sounds kind of cool." So we went there the very first day. We drove to Washington D.C. on Connecticut Avenue, a theater there, and we saw it. And there was no lines, no nothing. But that weekend, it got big. Mm. And everybody started going. But, you know, I'm at the Naval Academy. People can't just leave. And then I immediately go to BUDS, which is the SEAL school out in Coronado. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of people wanted to see it. And they were Air Force cadets, Naval Academy midshipmen. And I had a car. I had a Fiat 128 wagon. Small car. <laughs> But we looked like a clown car because we had about 12 or 13 people all piled in. And we drove Ooh. down to Mission Valley to go watch it in one of these big, huge theaters down there. And on the way, I was they were asking me, is it, is it really that good? I went, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great, you know. And I said, you know, it's kind of sad at the end, you know, when they all die. And they're going, <laughs> what? I said, oh, I thought you knew. Yeah, yeah. They, of course they can't win. But by them dying, you know, they created this huge revolution. I'm sorry, I, I didn't. I didn't know. <laughs> when they got out of there, they beat, beat the living crap out of me, if I could say that. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. worth it. 
And these are all guys that want to go seal. So, you know, it was a kind of a tough crowd. Doc yeah. would do that to somebody. Tell Who, them, oh, I, yeah, they all died. <laughs> yes, I, I would, actually. Uh, but I have a friend, actually, who had a shirt that said, gave the exact page under which uh, on which Dumbledore died. Uh, <laughs> a year after the book came out, she got yelled at at Dragon Con for it. Somebody <laughs> <laughs> finally realized it? No, 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 because it, it was like every the book had been out, everybody already knew, but the shirt came out really quickly afterwards, apparently. And it was literally just Dumbledore dies in the page number. Oh, should we put a spoiler like a alert up? We could we could do that for a the book is over 10 years old. If they haven't read it at this point, it's on them. <laughs> no. All right. So okay. Now on to the other religion question, and maybe you'll be more definitive here. Okay. Potterverse, Game of Thrones, or Lord of the Rings? Game, oh. Definitely Game of Thrones over Potterverse. Uh, I would have been surprised if you were a Potter. Yeah, I'm, I, I enjoy the movies. Um, but to me, it's light, light entertainment. Game of Thrones and, and, and Lord of the Rings are much deeper. Um, you know something? I really love Game of Thrones, but I'm going to have to go Lord of the Rings. Okay. Nice. Very classic. I like it. So, Good answer. <laughs> um, what was your first love? Sci-fi or fantasy? Sci-fi. Okay. I, that I really, was definitive. I, I had been reading. Very. I read uh, Don Quixote de la Mancha. was the first adult book I read. And then because I just was going to show everybody I could read it. And I really liked it. And then I was kind of, you know, Hardy Boys and things like that. And my brother had a copy of Andre Norton's Starman's Son. And and that, at that time, I think it was just called Starman's Son. It wasn't called Daybreak. It didn't have the 25, 21, whatever the date is. And I picked it up and I read it. And I was just, I, I was, my, my, my mind, I was mind boggled. I could not believe that you can make your own universe and, and actually tell a story. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing in the entire world. So I read all of Norton's books. And then my brother said, well, if you like Norton, you got to go to Heinlein. And then uh, Heinlein, and then I went on and McCaffrey and all that kind of stuff. So I started with sci-fi before I got into fantasy. So that remains my, my true love. But I do have a Highland story too. Very oh, go. Uh, when I went to the Naval Academy, my, you know, I, I wrote a letter to Highland, and I put inside a self-addressed staff uh, stamped envelope to my brother, and I wrote a letter saying, "Please can uh, can you just scribble a note saying, you know, why haven't you contacted your brother?" Well, Highland writes this two-page letter. <laughs> you, you know, midshipmen need to have family supporting them in their first year. Blah 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 blah. And remember back, we didn't have email back then, so didn't, things had to go by snail mail. About three weeks later, I just get a letter. All it says, why is Robert Heinlein writing me and scolding me? <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, my God. I wish I had thought to do that. <laughs> and, and he did it. I, I, did, I tried to make it real easy. I expected him just, if anything, just scribble on a piece of paper. But no, he writes a two-page letter. Please tell me your brother still has that letter. That would be awesome. You know, I have wanted to murder my brother many times. 
<laughs> after he moved to Colorado, he misplaced it. And when I found that out, I almost did murder him. That's the kind of stuff that needs to be in museums. That's that's yeah, yeah, you're right. That stuff is that's the kind of cool interaction that you know that should be written down. And it's just cool for him to do that. I mean, he doesn't know me from Adam. Yeah, and the world's got enough negativity, so it's always cool when you see the the stars do the nice thing for, yeah. for the average guy, you know? So, all right. That was an interesting story. Thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> I, I love to share my story. I've got a lot of them. I love to share my stories. Um, well, you kind of also answered what you love about the genre, which is great. Um, so, JR, the next question is yours. All right. Well, then, since we've got time, because he already answered that one, how did you meet Shatner? Uh, through horse uh, the horse shows. Okay. I, I did horse show, and when I was a captain um, out in Southern California, and uh, they have they have horse shows that are just for your breed and just what you do, but then they have the open shows, the big open shows, which are everything. And you know, he was a big um, well, he was a, a quarter horse, a saddlebred guy, and I used to see him when uh, when you know when before you go into the ring, you know, you're sitting on your horse out waiting, and you're waiting to go in. And uh, you just start chatting, you know. Like any line, yeah, doesn't have a drill sergeant next to it. <laughs> That's right. And and when I met him, you know, he was a really cool guy. You know, I I had heard, you know, some of the some of the reputation from back when he was younger. I didn't see any of that. So, I, I thought well, he was just a real. We are cool all guy. allowed to grow and become hopefully yep. better and deeper people as we do so. Yep. Lord knows the stupid stuff I've done. You've probably heard some of those. I did them at <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but we were smart enough, or at least technology wasn't advanced enough that we didn't have cameras recording everything and throwing it up on the forever box. Yeah. I was so lucky that the Facebook was not a thing when I started going to Dragon Con. <laughs> but MySpace wasn't. Tom was your friend. No. I had I had a MySpace page because somebody convinced me I needed it before I joined the army to keep track of my friends. And I logged into it twice ever. And uh, so, no, MySpace was not a thing for me. Okay. Well, you told us already, um, Jonathan, what your first memory was of the science fiction um, but what was your first memory of fantasy, of a, the fantasy as a genre? The Hobbit. The Hobbit? Was yeah. it the cartoon that came out? or was no, it no, no, the book. He was reading by that time. I, I don't know when the cartoon came out. I, I mean, I've seen oh, it, but... 84, 86? Yeah, I, 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 I didn't even see it when, when it first came out. I saw it later. But no, I, I, I read The Hobbit. And then I went immediately into Lord of the Rings. Because I was so fascinated with The Hobbit. So I have a you, feeling you're one of those readers who like picks up a book and goes, oh, I like this, and then reads everything from that person. Yeah, exactly. So did you read The Samarillion? Uh, yes, I did. And did you did you enjoy that as well? I know some uh, fans get mixed. Not as well. Not as well. I'm curious. But to I had to do it uh, because I loved the others. And, yeah. and, and back then, even if, a, even if I didn't like a book, I finished it. I didn't understand yes. that you could quit a book until 10 years ago. That's, that is the mentality that gets you far in the Marine Corps, not understanding <laughs> you can quit. This is true. So. 
So the um, what do you think about the Amazon's got the the more stories in the universe coming out with their Prime series? I they, they own, Amazon owns the rights to produce more stories in the. Oh uh, yeah 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> it depends on what they do with it. You know, I'm not going to judge. So you're waiting to see. She's a she's so hardcore Barnes and Noble that. Amazon leaves a dirty taste in her no, mouth. Okay, no. The dirty face that I'm making is has nothing to do with Amazon and everything to do with the fact that I have almost, with the exception of the one series, have been very disappointed when they make my book series oh. that I love into a media property. And I understand the differences of storytelling that you have to do and stuff, which is really the one that I was not disappointed in is um, the bit Bitten, which is based off of Kelly Armstrong's um, book Bitten, actually, and her Women of the Other World series. Because the changes they made in it were very calculated and almost all of them, with the exception of one character, were all very small and minute. And I really liked that. But most of the time when you take the property, the storytelling is so different. I, just I, I saw that with so the man in the high castle. Yeah. So that, that's what my face is about is not just not the Amazon thing, though. It is really hard to like a company that says that whose CEO makes it their stated goal to destroy another company. It kind of sucks as hostile business. Yeah. Me. But Amazon bought this house. This that's why. So, so yeah, I don't know. It's 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 definitely you know markets evolve though, so we're we're all good. But I, mean, I would love I would love I would love Amazon to have, doing it. I would it love to have, doing it. I would love to be wide and make as much money with everybody. Um, just as a philosophy, I would rather do that. But yeah, no. I got to put the little girls to college. Yeah, but the face was not about Amazon. Yeah. It was just about my insecure my lack of trust in people to produce things Correct. all right so you talked about you know your first love with sci-fi and with fantasy but how did that love of literature and the genre transition into you writing uh science fiction i believe that was the first stuff you've written have you written any fantasy uh no i've written paranormal mm, that's adjacent uh, i've got uh, uh i have a book called we're rat I, I i i read my first paranormal was jack williamson's darker than you think and i thought that was pretty cool and it gets to the point now when i'm driving at night in the rain that i'm thinking about here's one of those nexus in time that you can shift into being a <laughs> werewolf and i do that when i'm driving you know the family's asleep or whatever and here i am thinking about uh oh okay you know the i forget exactly how we how we um said it but you know, when stress comes up and, and things can happen, probabilities, that's when you can slide in and, and become a werewolf. And so I've always, I've been a, lick, uh, a lickanthrope since then. And uh, I wrote a, a book called We're Rat, where when you get through puberty, you, that's when you become a weir, but you don't know what you are. And my MC was a throwback to becoming a rat and no laws of physics, you know, of, of conservation of mass or anything like that. Um, and then I wrote three books, which I love, which are my Werewolf of Marines. I would consider that still Mill SF. So it is Mill. My wares are actually more science than fantasy. 
But okay, I, 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 I can see that. Now, they may be bunk, but there's all scientific reasons on why the moon helps and why silver and all that kind of stuff. So I try to make it very scientific. Uh, so yeah, I would probably, yeah, I would say it's more SF than- uh, So how did that love of the genre transition into you writing the sci-fi? Because we're here to talk about one of your sci-fi properties. So we'll, we'll go with there for the duration, but how did that love of, of reading science um, fiction? I, I wrote, when back in 1970, geez, it must have been 1978, uh, I wrote a, a story called Secession, which was sci-fi. And I knew nothing about publishing, so I just sent it off to a magazine and it got published. And I nice. thought, well, this is easy. And uh, <laughs> yeah, well, really. And, and But then, you know, as a Marine, I was writing more uh, military, you know, nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Politics, nuclear proliferation. Um, from my my when I got my PhD, it was on um, the environmental aspects of the tuna industry. So I was always writing fiction, and I never thought that I could actually write. I mean, nonfiction. I always I never thought that I could actually write fiction. But then, when I was in Iraq in two thousand six, you know, you had extra time. Uh, you know, if you're not on duty, you know, what are you going to do? You, and you don't have that many books. We didn't have Kindles. Uh, so I wrote a novel and I didn't do anything with it until I think 2009. I, it wasn't, it wasn't a sci-fi. They said, write what you know. So I wrote a, a military fiction. Mm -hmm. um, it's about a, a takeover of the U.S. Embassy in, in New Delhi. And about 2009, I said, you know, I should get some copies of this. So I went to iUniverse. And I said, I want 20 copies. What's it going to cost me? They said $470. Well, I gave them $470, got my 20 copies, gave them to my mother, my brother, my, especially my brother who probably instilled the love of reading to me. And uh, and then they actually put it on Amazon, I guess, for 1995 or 1999 for a 50,000-word story. And But over the next three, four years, I made $98. Nice. So I'm only down, you know, I'm only down 372. And, I, and then in, in 2012, I um, was at the lounge, the United Lounge at LAX. And I saw a guy with a Kindle. Oh, wow, that's a Kindle. Let me, can I see it? All this stuff. Yeah, I got a book on Kindle. And he goes, he looks me up and goes, no, you don't. Oh, yeah, I do. So I get home and I call up my universe and I said, well, what happened? And they said, well, you had to pay us another $70 for that. What? Yeah, that's what they were doing. And at that point, I kind of heard about self-publishing. So I said, well, wait a minute. I got the file. I'll just throw it up there. But no one's ever going to pay anything for what I write. So I'm going to put it at 99 cents, right? Uh -huh. uh, in about two weeks, I sold 400 copies. Uh, by the end of the month, I sold, you know, it sold 700. And, and I'm like, there's 700 people that read something that I wrote? I, I was just flabbergasted. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And then people started finding me and contacting me and said, well, where's book two? Like well, kill off half the people in book one. But I wrote book two and book three. And you had more characters then? I, I, had to, I had to bring in more characters. I, and they're all based on kind of realistic uh, takeover of the U.S. Embassy, uh, fighting Somali pirates, and um, uh, the Chinese taking over uh, the Spratleys. 
And so those are all really kind of happened after that. And uh, then I wrote Weird Rat. And I wrote a, I wrote my first science fiction book. And I, you know, I was as a hobbyist, I was making a little bit of money, not not a lot, you know. But I was just amazed. And then I wrote Recruit in at the end of 2014, and that was the first one, my first military science fiction, and that took off. And that led to eight books in that series, and another series with five books, and another series of three, and lots of uh, uh, short stories. Uh, one of them, my first Nebula nomination was for one of them. Um, my USA Today bestseller was one of them. Um, so, you know, it's done pretty well for me. So many authors will let uh, their real life experiences influence the kind of stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that really shape you as a storyteller? I don't know if it's shaped me, but I definitely use my experiences within my books. Um, I, in, in a lot of my books, the battles are real. Either things that I've seen or studied. Um, they're just the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Uh, I have a book, I have a, a military fiction about a sniper in Iraq, and I wanted to use a, a fight in Ramadi that I was there when this was, fight was happening. And I contacted um, the staff sergeant who led this group of snipers, and he was just all thanking me for asking him if I could use this battle and stuff. And he gave me a lot more information. So I use a lot of truth, but whether there was something that changed me that I put into it, I can't say there's a specific incident, but it's what I learned as a Marine. Um, you know, the brotherhood of, of the Corps, the integrity, the loyalty. Um, those are the things that I try to bring out in, in my books. Okay. So speaking of the military fiction you just mentioned, your bio and we in the introduction mentioned that you served as a uh, infantry officer in the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, don't worry, we forgive you for not being Army. Um, but we ask all of our military veterans this question, but how do you feel like your time in the Corps affects the stories you tell? Oh. Aside from just, you know, understanding combat. Uh, it totally, totally affected me on my, I, I was kind of an outlaw when I was a kid. Um, I'm surprised. I didn't end up in jail. I, I know people say that, but I, I really could have. I, you know, I was too smart for myself. You know, I could do anything. I could outsmart anybody. I could do whatever I want. And going to the academy first and then in the core, um, that completely changed who I am, where honor is paramount, um, honesty, all that kind of stuff, loyalty. And so how I grew in the core Oh, and at the Naval Academy, too, um, has really affected my outlook on life and has affected the, how I write the books that I write. Um, I, it's all my characters. And I, don't have, I have no super, superhero characters. And a lot of them came from – a lot of them may not have been too good. Okay, and here, okay here, there's an example. Uh, I, have a, I have a werewolf of Marines. Um, the character is a complete jerk who never should have been a Marine. And in fact, one of the reviews said, I quit after three chapters because 
he was such a jerk that I wanted to werewolf to eat him. And I a couple books like that. And I stuck with it though. And I found out that I really liked the character surprisingly. Uh, in here, I think that it was a little bit of me in there. And hopefully I have, I've, I've, I've grown myself as much as the character in Werewolf of Marines. I don't know if I answered your question. No, you did. So it sounds like you, it wasn't so much one specific incident, but a theme that, that yeah. affects you, like the honor and integrity and all that. Is that something that you try to put in? Because one of the things that, that I don't particularly like is when it, it becomes message fiction, right? Like whatever yeah. the message might be. Um, because I don't want to be preached that if I wanted to be preached that I'd go to church, right? I read books to have fun to escape. And so I definitely noticed from the, from the stories of yours that I've read that there seems to be that underlying theme of the, you know, duty, honor, country kind of thing. I guess that's not, that's army, not Marine Corps, but, but that kind of idea is that intentional? Yeah. yeah. Is that intentional or is that just something that no, has become so I, much a part of you? I think it's a part of me, but it's also, I don't want to write about a bad Marine Corps or I write, I have army books, same thing mm -hmm. with the army. I have my Navy books, same thing with Navy. Um, I like to give shout outs. I haven't done shout out to the air force yet, but coast guard I have. I will admit, I think one of the things um, I've seen some books that are more like, Oh, we're going to do mill SF, but with mercenaries. And I go, I don't see the, the love of love of country and sacrifice pushing people that far if they're not dedicated to their country or a higher ideal. There's so I have a hard time buying into to some of that at times. Yeah, I had I have a book that has mercenary not a book, excuse me, a short story. Um and I needed I needed them to be mercenaries because of it was a corporate a book about corporate warfare. But it, I didn't have the same um duty on a country in there that I have in my, in my novels. Yeah. But, it, but it was for a reason because they weren't motivated by those things. Yeah. They, yeah, they weren't motivated. It was the bottom line and they, but they're not going to die for their cause either. No. Yeah. And, and that was a big thing. Very few people actually died, but when they did, it was like, you know, we can't let it go to, that's why they surrendered when they could because they knew, yeah. And it's all being, you know, people are, it's also an entertainment, like the Roman gladiator type stuff. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, they weren't, they weren't going to die for their, for their buddy. So they, they, the only person I've seen that really pulled off the mercenary type effect where it was believable. There are two of them is Marco. Was it Marco Cluse did? Marco Cluse. And, um, and BV Larson have done them, but it was more like they were, mercenaries for other races but they were doing it to save humanity yeah and, and that was so it was, it was very clear in that respect Mark, Mark was just a good writer he is i, I enjoy him he's a nice guy too he although, is he's, good guy. I, although i i i call i yeah, emailed him doing it to save humanity is real yeah so i had but, i emailed marco after his uh uh his two stories got on netflix oh he yeah wrote about the werewolves in iraq yeah. and and where they were marines and they're calling the gunnery sergeant sarge and I emailed him and said, you know, hey, great story, but and he, and he was so mad because he wrote it for the army. And at the last second, the producers decided, nah, it needs to be Marines, but they didn't change anything. Oh no, <laughs> yeah, that would have said he's heard it from a lot of people now. 
Marco was a uh, German military yeah. uh, veteran, so he he knows what he's doing. But uh, but yeah, so I think with with mercenaries though, it's it, I agree with you. It's hard to get those themes. But we're not here to talk in general. Although we can have you back to have general sci-fi nerdery, <laughs> we're here to talk about your book. So when you write, um, you know, we've talked about the themes that you carry over. But do you ever bring in people besides this one instance with the battle with the sniper? Do you write about people you served with? Yep. And the funny thing is, is that I write about people that I've served with, uh, with whom I served. And I have a lot of people contacting me and saying, oh, I served with that guy. I served with that guy. Uh, you'd be amazed that when I'm writing about a person that I specifically knew, a Marine, I have people from the Army, Air Force, Navy, well, who say, I know I served with that guy. Particularly the Marine Corps is not huge. No. So it, it's much more likely to happen if you're talking about Marines because uh, you are a distinctive lot. You know where the <laughs> second most uh, common place to find a Marine is? A bar? Army or uh, National Guard or Reserve. Oh, unit. yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> they uh, they recruit heavily from them because they're like, I, wait a minute, I could get promoted really easily and I get to stay home? I, I go down to Fort though. Carson. I, if I look out the window, I can see Fort Carson. Uh, I go down there a lot. I go to gym, commissary, PX and stuff. And I have my little Marine hat. And I have a lot of soldiers come up to me and go, sir, uh, I, was a, I was a Marine for four years. I go, well, what, what happened? Now? What, what, what happened? And I got out and I joined the Army Reserve or, or National Guard. And then I came back in. I, I, they come up to me all the time. Very apologetic, it's, too. It's because the promotions, I think, are because the Army's yeah. bigger. So there's just more, there's more slots. But yeah, my uh, my squad leader when I was in Iraq was he had enlisted in the the guard because it was promised him he'd get to stay home after the war started for a little bit after two deployments and uh, and then 14 days after he enlisted in the army they're like guess what? <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, so well, the, you know the nice thing I'll, I'll say this then we can go on the nice thing about uh, being next to Fort Carson is you know I go down to use the gym and what's really nice about it is like all the heavier weights they're like brand new. It's like they've never been used before. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, so does the uh, the time in the service affect the kind of stories you engage with, not this time as an author, but as a reader? So do you think it affects how you read stories now? If they're about the military, yes. When I read a book that is a sign, whether it's military fiction, um, military fiction tends to be better with the military, but military SF. When I read some of these where the, Major is calling the private sir. Um, you know, I mean, it's just or or the the seal uh, got out after 13 years because he made a war crime in Iraq, but he's got a retirement and he's got Tricare, and uh, I just it really <laughs> bugs me. The yeah, no. I, I'm kind of stickler anyway for reality. Now, you know, you always have to have the thing, especially in science fiction. Uh, it's faster than life travel. It's alien life. I, you know, I'm fine. But it's got to be real within the universe that you create. It makes sense. And I don't think there is a, you go back to Babylonian times, whatever, whatever the Babylonian major was, was not going to, call the Babylonian private, sir. 
what I would love is what I would say on that one is if you're a civilian riding military and a vet tells you something, even if you don't agree with them, listen to it. I, I, that's what I tell people. I, oh. I tell people, people ask me at panels at cons, you know, I want to write military science fiction, but I have never served in the military. What do I do? And, and it's not just science fiction cons. I went to RWA and I went to a panel where I answered some uh, romance writers of America. I, I was going, wait, the same RWA that. Yeah. That I was SIFWA. I was, I was creating uh, science fiction, fantasy writers of America. I was creating an education program. RWA has a great program. So I went to the convention and I went to some panels because some of those writers know what they're doing. Some of them are making fabulous. The, making the I, I'm not poo-pooing romance writers. And, and, I, and there was a, a panel where the person who was giving the panel knew nothing about the military. And so I made a few comments and I have a lot of romance writers who contact me now about their military stuff. And I tell people, if you don't know, if you didn't serve in the military, go down to the VFW, go down to the American Legion, offer to buy the guys there a, a, a beer, and they will give you enough stories in one evening that you could write a trilogy. Very much so. So uh, William Frisbee has a book on uh, space uh, infantry combat, which basically is his projection to a point. But he also references all of the pertinent FMs and field manuals and stuff that he quotes. And it's basically a conglomerate. And even though I have most of the field manuals still that he references, I still use his because it's all in one book. They don't have to like <laughs> take them all out. And so that's a good that's a good reference, too. And there are a few other people that have probably written – like how to do it for for the for dummies version of, of the military. Uh, and the other thing to think about when it comes to tactics is almost every sports game out there started as a training for a warrior. Yeah. So if you can understand tactics as it relates to a sports game, just apply that same thinking and then start killing people. I mean, in the book, obviously, I'm not I'm not endorsing criminality. <laughs> Please don't. I was going to say, uh, um, have you seen some of our people? Oh, athletics is not our big thing. In, in geek culture, typically, but moving away from that, because um, I'll get lynched. Um, <laughs> uh, have you had any neat fan art happen for you, or I, I had a uh, I had a guy who wrote a song. Oh, that's oh. new! And he sent it to me, and it was really cool. Uh, I mean, he goes, I, I I wrote this song, and and uh, can I? send it to you. I'm like, yeah, right now. And, and then he asked me, is it all right if I put it up on, on uh, whatever they sell songs, the mm -hmm. Amazon for songs or whatever? Yeah. Not, I, no, no. Is it, maybe, is it iTunes? Uh, so, iTunes is Apple. <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, is that where people put up their indie work? Yeah, you can't. So there's, there's several of them, but iTunes is one of them. Okay. Well, it might have been iTunes. It might have been another one. But yeah, that was, that was that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Art, art, well, I'm waiting for the art. Please, somebody. Have you found a cosplay yet? Uh no, I I I am dying to find that. I I go around looking at Dragon Con, going, please, please. Are you? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so well. Yeah, Dragon Con has a lot of cosplays. So hopefully when hopefully this year, because we have a show. Um 
Yeah, I'm a, I'll be a pro. I'm a, I got my pro thing at for Dragon Con. And uh, that'll be fun. Uh, have you had anyone ask you for an autograph out in public away from a convention or a regular book signing? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think only once. It was at a um, a paintball uh, national paintball competition in Las Vegas. Okay. And it was at the park that was near my house, and I was taking the girls. They were eight months old or something. Take him out, and I see all this stuff going on. So I went down there, and I had a shirt that actually said "Recruit." It, you know, it was my shirt. It was the cover of my of my uh, of my book. Mm -hmm. I've got I've got two two shirts like that. I happen to be wearing this one, and some guy goes over and says, "Oh, that's a great book." You know, I really loved it. And I went and I went, yeah, that that's that's me. And he was like, "That's you." He thought I just bought it somewhere. And so uh, I, I had, I did, he didn't have a book for me to autograph. Uh, so I had to autograph his shirt, his, That's his cool. uh, paintball shirt, which he probably just went out and got splattered right after that. <laughs> That's still cool though. It's still cool though. So. But, uh, but that wasn't the first time anybody ever uh, approached me in the wild. I, I told you that for my PhD, I had written a book about um, the tuna industry. And a friend of mine in Thailand was getting married, and he was from a very big family. So there were like 6,000 people at the reception. And, yeah, it was this big. And uh, So that's like bigger than Dragon Con, right? High, it was high society, all that kind of stuff. Your, your math skills suck. <laughs> <laughs> but I went to, yeah, your math skills do suck for that. <laughs> and so when I was talking, I was with another friend of mine. And he motions to these two, two young women to come over. And in Thailand, I'm Dr. Brazy. That's just what they do there. So he said, yeah, this is Dr. Brazy. I want to introduce you. And, they, and one of them looks at me and goes, Dr. Jonathan Brazy? I went, yeah. And she goes, did you write? And she said the name of my book. Well, she made a couple of mistakes, but she said the name of the book. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Well, it turns out she works for the Thai government in the tuna industry, <laughs> you know, for regulating cool. the tuna industry. And they had used my book as part of their stuff. So cool. here I am in Thailand at a wedding and somebody had actually read a nonfiction book of which there were only 500 copies printed. I mean, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a big book and it costs like costs almost $200 to buy it. I hope well, you that was the first that. time anybody's ever approached me in the wild. It's cool. So what would you say, have you ever spotted somebody reading one of your books in the wild? No, I, I'm dying to do that. I, I would, I would, I would hug them and adopt them and everything else. Aww. <laughs> but I, I did not quite as good and, and not as odd at Worldcon. In um, Spokane, it might have been. I think it must have been Worldcon in Spokane. I was manning the Sifwa booth, right? Uh, they have a booth to give out brochures, and and they said that you can bring a couple books and put it out there while you're in the booth. And I had for a recruit, I had had somebody that gave me a not a very good, not a very good review, Ooh. and said that I probably have never been on a date, and uh. 
things like that. Uh, the book, the very the first book is very male centric because that's what the society is. But over the course of the arc, our hero understands that his wife is ten times more capable than he is, and and so on and so forth. So by the end, his daughter actually becomes a marine. But anyway, he read this first book and said, you know, I probably never had a date. I'm probably living at home. And this girl comes by, this young woman, maybe 20 years old, and she's walking by and she's kind of looking, you know, walking by, you look at the things and she sees the book, looks up, sees my name tag, looks down, sees the book, looks up, sees my name tag. And she goes, that review was wrong. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, did you read book two? She goes, no, not yet. I go, here. <laughs> <laughs> You probably made her day. I made my day. You made her day. She made his day. I That's gave cool. her the book. In fact, I gave her the next two books: Sergeant and Lieutenant. Nice. All right. So, was that the funniest interaction that you've had with the fan, or do you have? Oh have yeah, a yeah. I think that, that would be really hard to top. Yeah, I would think so too. Well, normally at this point in the interview, we'd be asking you what you've written, but you already gave us the rundown at the introduction. So we're going to save time and jump right into talking about the novel we're here to talk about. So um, we wanted to talk about Sentence to War, which you co-wrote with uh, Jonathan. Um, no, me, with I'm Jeff Jonathan. Katie. You're Jonathan. I, I had these written when we thought he was going to be here, and I, I read it. For the record in the chat, he's going, remember, it's this one's Jonathan. <laughs> right, because I was like, trying to go through it. it. Says, I see my name there, written. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, when I bring the document up to read the question on the word, I've got them minimized, so you're covered <laughs> because of the way. Anyway, so uh, we're, we're, uh, we wanted to talk about uh, Sentence to War, which you co-wrote with Jay and Jeff Cheney. Uh, so how did the uh, idea for this series come about? Was it psychedelics, Ouija board, overindulging in expired MREs? <laughs> that might have been it. Um, Jeff came over to me. I, I had given him a ride at 20 books. And we had just chatted a little bit because um, I the, I lived in Vegas at the time, and he didn't live in Vegas. Uh, and then, geez, how did it start? He just asked me. He, he started got me up on Facebook and started asking, saying, hey, "Have you ever thought about doing a co-writing?" And I have co-written three times. Um, they haven't performed as good as my own books. Um, but hey, I wanted to give it a shot because a lot of people are doing it, being successful doing it. And I sent her talking to me saying that this is how he does it. This is what he likes to do. And I kind of, I thought about it and I said, you know, maybe I should give it one more chance. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, hey, lesson learned. And so we, we did it all online. And we started chatting about what we might want to do. And the basic idea I came up with, and then he said, well, why don't you add this? And why don't you, you know, uh, why don't you do that? And so we kind of outlined the first book. Um, I wrote it, then, you know, the base book and, and sent it on up and his editors looked at it. Um, I probably had a few more curse words than, and I don't add a lot of F words in my books, but more than more than his books have. And and uh, 
And so we discussed some of that with one of the editors. Um, but it kind of, with the additions, Jeff came in and, and, and put some little additions in there um, and helped steer it. And between the two of us, um, I think it's a better book than I would have written alone. And I'd like to think it's a better book than Jeff would have written alone uh, because we had two different points of view. I was able to keep, you know, the storyline, which I'm kind of known for and the real and the realism for military. And Jeff was able to uh, bring in some emotive things and, and um, do what Jeff does really well. All right. So before we dig into talking about the story more in depth, we wanted to take a minute to to talk about the cover. And I got it on the screen for for you, dear listener. Um, and if you're listening only and not watching it on YouTube, then it sends to war by Jay and Cheney and uh, Jonathan Brazi. And you can look it up on Amazon and click that buy button too while you're at it. But uh, how did you come up with the art for this uh, for the series and for this I novel? Didn't. I didn't. Jeff asked me what what uh, what do we do and. I was kind of like, I don't. I didn't really even have too much of an idea. And all of a sudden, he just says, "How about this?" And I looked at it, and I went, "Yes." It has a little bit of a Judge Dread feel with the the way the helmets yeah, exactly. are. Exactly. Well, that's back. exactly exactly what was said. Okay. Well, fair enough. Short and concise on that one. All right. I would totally. like to say that I had more to do with it because I think the, I think the cover's great. Okay, so what it, I think it stands out in terms for science fiction covers. Yeah. It definitely does. It, it sticks out. Um, so what would the 30-second elevator pitch for this novel be? Oh, the 30-second elevator pitch makes it it's gonna make it sound kind of tropish, but that's what it is. Um I like tropish. Actually, <laughs> I had a conversation about tropes today, exactly to that point. And if you don't meet the tropes, people who read expecting them are going to be upset. Jared, I learned that lesson with one of the books that I didn't follow the tropes. And I had people who were not happy with that. JR likes to tease me that I've made up a word, but I told him it's really, it really is a word and it's tropolicious. I like that word. <laughs> See? I like that word. I approve. I think it's a real word. See, JR is it's a real word. We're going to start using it in yep. everything. I like it. In fact, I'm going to use it in some of the reviews I write. I only write if I, I only write a review if I think the book is five star, because as a writer, I don't think it's fair for me to do anything below that. So well, if you look at Goodreads, every every report, every review I have is five star. That doesn't mean I think every book is five star. It's just I didn't write those. Well, there's so much negativity. We don't need to add to it, really. Yeah, That's there, sort of there are some people too. who really think that that negativity is what makes them sound critical and smart. Oh, yes, yes. Doesn't. There's a guy who, uh, within my military SF friends, uh, he's very well known. He writes <laughs> huge, long reviews. You know, it's like an, an essay. So you know he's read the whole thing, but he puts up like two reviews a day. And they're all one star, two star. Uh, every once in a while, one will pop out as a four. But uh, for my eighth book in, in the series, uh, you know, he said, thank God it's over. And I'm like, well, thank you for buying eight of my books. Bought me lunch. <laughs> I, yeah. Some people I do not understand. And I, I may know who you're – I think I know who you're talking about, and I don't D -D. understand. What? D.D. 
initials. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I just don't understand. Yeah, I mean, but you're bringing them joy by giving people something to complain about. So you're still serving your audience. And, <laughs> and they're putting money in my bank account. That That's military theory. Everybody likes to complain. Yep. So. Uh, so what would be, what makes your series special? Uh, you've given us sort of the elevator pitch, but what, what do you Actually, think? I didn't even tell you what it's about, but I think, I think I'm kind of known for my realism in my writing, my military writing. And the, my fans really like that. Uh, Jeff's fans are more, uh, Jeff's readers are more broad based with a lot more interest in different things. And so I think, I'm, I think that together we've done something that is it has a broader uh, uh, appreciation that more people are going to like to read it, yet the military is true. It's like as if we were talking about Star Wars and stuff. It's as if somebody had the grandiose vision of Star Wars and the, and the, the, the you know, all the different intricacies, the, you know, the ideas of the different worlds and everything, yet it was militarily accurate. So... Okay, so what was that thirty-second elevator pitch? Then I I got so engrossed in what oh, you were saying, I, I didn't realize it's okay. We're beyond that. <laughs> the real pitch is, is essentially is is the war is going. It, you got humans banding together for the first time in hundreds of years because of an alien race that's technologically advanced, uh, and and humanity is fighting for their and it's not going well. And because of that, they're conscripting people for all sorts of minor offenses, including our hero. And he thinks he has a, he thinks he has a cush job uh, with, a, with a union, and he finds out that, no, he's going to be a Marine. And how does he deal with that where he doesn't really want to be there? It's like being drafted and going to Vietnam. Uh, and how does he deal with that and learn that maybe he has a home in the Marine Corps? Uh, go ahead. Got to be a really hard psyche because we have an all-volunteer service. Real, I, really, particularly now. Um, so, but there are some people who join who feel like that is really their only option. So that's got to be an interesting head psyche place to get yourself into. I, I've got a lot of the Vietnam vets have already reached out to me. Mm -hmm. There were some when he was getting out because you were in Iraq right around the time I was in '05 for my last deployment and there my platoon sergeant one of them was a go to war or go to jail kind of enlistment back i mean obviously it wasn't war at the time but yeah so, i mean it, it still happened unofficially oh um, yeah no 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 that there are with the irr call-ups we saw some of that i mean technically they had volunteered but they thought their time was done so you can see you can see the smatterings of it but definitely not to the level of what what he's talking about with vietnam yeah so did you did you draw on like the experience you knew because you were alive for that? I mean, did you? I came in in seventy five. Don't call him old. That's I'm mean. not. I'm, he wasn't in like for the draft because the the war was over when he joined. I had to register for the draft, but no, okay. I, I I went in. I, I came in when I was seventeen uh, in seventy five. So the people that I served with were drafted. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of them, uh, particularly. A lot of my staff and COs, my you know staff sergeants and gunnery sergeants, stuff like that, uh, were drafted out of the ghetto of Detroit, for example. Of quite for whatever reason, several of them came out all within you know one square mile in Detroit, 
And, and I, I had quite a few of my, in fact, most of my staff and CEOs were drafted and had come out of that kind of lifestyle and then found the Marine Corps. And they said they just traded one gang for another. <laughs> and this gang was this gang was legal, and then and then, you know, like one of them one of them would tell me that uh, my gunny, he said, he he came into me one day and he came and sat in my office, and he said, you know, my son just got accepted to Duke, and I'm like, like hey, congratulations. He goes, no, you don't understand. Nobody in my family even graduated from high school. All my brother, my brother is in prison. My other brother was killed. My son is going to Duke. And I was like, well, I kind of sunk in then what yeah. he's talking about. You know, his son had been on military schools all around the world. His son didn't go to some some rundown school that no one that 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 no one cared about because sometimes our education system, the poor schools, people don't care about. But his son was able to go to DOD schools from his whole life. And now he's going to Duke and he's breaking, he's breaking that chain. And that, that was actually a kind of a, a moving moment for me when, when, when it sunk in. Yeah. I met two soldiers when I joined and I went to basic training with a sold, uh, a female who she felt like the army was her only choice because she was the only person in her family who had never been in jail. <sighs> and yeah. I knew somebody who he went in and he was the only person in his family who was male and wasn't in the mafia. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it is. So there are some people who definitely, and I think it, it wasn't even 10 years ago that the last draftee retired from the army. So, I mean, I, we, I think about, uh, we think about Vietnam being so, so long ago, but. So. I, I knew, I knew a guy who, uh, he wasn't in my platoon, but he had actually, I forget if it was the Crips or whoever it was a, a LA gang mm -hmm. had sent him to the Marine Corps to gain skills and he stayed. Yeah, I would have stayed too. He stayed. Um, <laughs> so, but getting my, back my buddy, my buddy was in his platoon. He used to tell me about that. He <laughs> said, you know, when his enlistment was up and he was supposed to go back and take his military skills, he just said, nope, I'm re upping. I, I think that was probably the better choice, but I might be biased. Um, but getting back to our favorite, yeah. we're going to talk tropeliciousness. So what tropes do you think you do did best in this? And what tropes did you bring in from outside, like your stereotypical military SF genre? Because it sounds like you probably brought in a couple of tropes from like the, the true crime genre. Yeah, I, uh, I would say that uh, the tropes that I have, are uh, the ones I, I normally have are uh, people who you wouldn't think are going to be successful, but finding a home, uh, the willing to die for your for your friends, you know your your brothers in arm. Uh, I tend to have, although not I, I, I refuse to do that for my my novel Integration, which is one of the ones I'm most proud of. Uh, that the empire is evil. In this case, the emperor is really a good guy who's trying to do well. Um, so I kind of broke that trope. Um, but for me, that's the general tropes. I, 
I I wrote one book where the the Marines were the bad guys, although they weren't really bad. You know, they were good guys, but they were the other side. And I got hammered for that. Uh, I don't I didn't buy this book to read about the Marines being the bad guys. So what about for this specific novel? Oh, for this novel, you know, we've got the guy who's going to go to jail. Well, he didn't have a choice to go to jail. His choice was you, normally you would, you did a crime. Now you're going into the Marine Corps. That's just all there is to it. So there's that trope. He doesn't want to be there, but by the end of the, I don't want to spoil it. Well, we're troping, so I'm not spoiling anything. <laughs> uh, you know, he finds a home. Uh, he learns to be a better person. Uh, he's he's kind of arrogant, you know, kind of stuck up, self-centered, and he becomes understands the meaning of teamwork and brotherhood. Um, so those are some of the tropes that are in here. Uh, there's you know some of the boot camp. Actually, no, the boot camp tropes aren't nearly the same as in recruit. Um, I have a different kind of boot camp. He's expecting some of the tropes, but they don't happen. I would imagine if everybody's a go to war, or go to jail, the kind of boot camp you would have to have would be vastly different than what I experienced. I actually knew somebody who was a drill sergeant for one of those kind of boots, and um, he, when after he retired, obviously, but yeah, he said it was a very different kind of approach to things, and. No. Um, it was a lot more what we what you'd think of uh, now as old school approach. Yeah. And uh, so you you talked about you know your your main character was the go to war go to jail kind of guy, and you told us a little bit about him. But were there any secondary characters you were uh, fond of that you want to tell us a little bit about? Yeah, I love Tomiko. <laughs> Tomiko is a he's a real hard ass. She's not very big. Um, got a chip on her shoulder, and my the my the MC doesn't curse a lot. Tomiko does. Uh, she has, but I but she's there's a soft side to her too because her family. Our hero has a good family life. They support him. He's got a stepdad who's not a mean stepdad. He's a loving guy who who, who you know supported the kids growing up. Um, he's a really good guy, in fact. Uh, those are some of the things I like to turn on their head a little bit from what you a lot of times you read. So he's got a really good family life, but Tomiko doesn't, and she kind of gets wistful sometimes when she sees uh, uh, when she sees our Reverend Rev, is his nickname. Um, I like Tomiko a lot. I like uh, Husman, name, uh, Hussein is his real name. Uh, uh, those are two I like a lot. Um, but Tomiko, I, I would say Tomiko. Okay. All right. The next one is you, Doc. So what, can you tell us about the bad guy in this book? The bad guy there, there in the first volume, the bad guy is the situation mm -hmm. and the enemy. Okay. But it's hard to do because we don't know anything about the enemy. You know, they, we don't communicate with them. They can understand uh, standard English, whatever you want to call it. Um, they just basically make demands and they're powerful. We don't know why they're doing what they're doing. There are some hints 
in book one, that if you if you look at them and you go on to book three, you're going to go, ah, okay. But we're not going to really understand them at all until book three. Okay. So, so it's hard to make them the bad guy because right now they're just, you know, Godzilla or somebody. Yeah, they're just very vague. And, and so I got to ask because we've, are you, Pantsing this, I think, is the term, Jerry. Like, or did you? I, it's it? a hybrid. Okay. Hybrid. I pants. I know where I'm going. <laughs> I and I am wearing pants now too. I'll have you know. I wasn't gonna ask. Yeah, you know, you could be wearing a kilt. Well, I, I had a pair of shorts on for another for a panel, and I put up my. my I don't know if you can see. It. I put up my leg like this. Uh huh. Ask. Do you have your pants on? Look, not they're they're, they're real shorts. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I pants it because I find that when I, I, I had, I did a book with Richard Fox that we had to really have it organized because I'm doing a chapter. He's doing a chapter. I'm doing a chapter. He's doing a chapter. So we had to follow that. And, and if we had something that we wanted to add, we had to ask each other because it could screw up all the other. Yeah, I, I remember you talking about that book last year. That's yeah. the one they had the uh, the famous actors did the, uh, yeah. the audio book. Giancarlo Esposito did mine. And, and McDreamy. McDreamy did, yeah, did Richards. <laughs> Not so that I know. There we had to do that. Here, Jeff and I have come up with a general um, a general story arc of where we're where it's starting, where we're going, and some cool things to add in there. But I keep thinking, oh, my gosh, wait a minute. No, 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 we have to have this. Oh, mm -hmm. we have to have, oh wait a minute. This character is really growing. And something bad's going to happen to this character. Now I got to make that when it happens bad, I got to make it worthwhile. So I have to go back here and, and do some stuff here. So in this one, you kind of talk about how the world is almost the character and the bad guy. Can you give us a little bit of what to expect in the world from the world? Like, well, I, I said technology. the world, but it's, it's what, what we have are uh, humanity is spread across the most of our section of the galaxy. Um, on the spiral arm. Uh, our hero is in the uh, Perseus arm. They're, they're, they're called the Perseus Union. Uh, so you've got uh, four major four major nations, I guess. Lots mm -hmm. of smaller ones, lots of independent worlds. And they've been at war off and on for, you know, six, seven hundred years. Uh, not always war. Uh, things change. Uh, you know, who was an ally is now not. A lot of it's economic uh, warfare and things like that. But when when the centaurs and and we're calling them centaurs just because they're coming from that section, we don't know if they really are from that part of the galaxy. But since it came from that direction, that's what they're called. And mm -hmm. uh, what they have done is they've united humanity to try to fight this. Them. Yeah. But there's also still these rivalries, and if they think they're gonna, if they, if humanity thinks they're gonna survive, then they want to be positioned so that they're in a position of authority afterwards. Yeah. So they're cooperating, but, and that goes a little bit more into book two, which is already out. You see a lot more of of that maneuvering, and of course, our hero thinks that's BS because. You know, he's fought with some of these other people from these other countries, uh, nations, or whatever you want to call them. Okay. Now, 
if your characters were to meet you in a back alley and they knew who you were, how screwed would you be? If they only read the first book of themselves, they might be screwed. <laughs> <laughs> if they get to the end, those that are still alive, uh, I think then I think they would uh, shake my hand. Okay. But and the rest of them are just going to haunt him because he killed them. If you them did already. make it, there are a couple that I I have cried before when I've lost characters. I can understand that more than once. But you know, if if everybody makes it, then it's not then it's a circle of time. So you know, every year at the at the anniversary of her like last book, that final battle, J.K. Rowling sends an apology for one of the characters she killed. Uh, I've read some of Brazi's stuff. If he was going to do that, he'd have to just list by the regiment for his apologies, or he'd never <laughs> get through them all. No, that's okay. <laughs> It, by the regiment is still at least better. I mean, Ringo would have to do it by the continent. Or planet. So. <laughs> I, did right. a, I did a panel with Ringo at Dragon Con that I couldn't stop laughing through the whole panel. He's a funny dude. So, oh, my God. It was so funny. The, I don't even know what the panel was supposed to be about, but we had three three military guys, and it just got to be telling stories. I think I know which panel that one was. <laughs> So oh, this is the question where, where we dive in to see how the sausage was made. So were there any cool scenes that you wrote? Because you said you wrote the first draft that got cut that you still really liked and you might use later or no, any, anything like that? No, they all made it. Okay. Well, then you guys got to go out and buy the book when this interview is over and, and check it out. So you can you can leave those glorious reviews on on all the reviewing platforms. So Sentence to War is clearly part of a series. I know because you told me so, and it says so on Amazon. There are currently two books out in the series, and you've mentioned the third one on the way. But uh, is their story done after that? What's what's next for these characters in this uh, series? I'm actually – initially I had agreed to do three books um, because I didn't know what the reception was going to be. Um, these books are doing really, really well. Because um, when, when I co-write with somebody, I've got to figure out – on a financial part. I mean, I've co-written with somebody just to better my craft once and, and that's fine. But on, from a financial and a business standpoint, I've got to decide whether if I write the book myself and I'm paying for the cover and I'm paying for the editors, am I going to make more money doing it for myself or am I going to end up making more if I'm doing it with someone like, like Jeff, after we split, you know, after we do our split. And in this case, it's clear to me that th th this one is better financially. So anyway, I, I, I agreed to do three, but I, since it's going well um, and the reception, people seem to like the books. Uh, I'm going to go out. I, I have to write a novella that I, um, I promised somebody uh, back in August. And I've got to write that next month. So as soon as I finish, um, as soon as I finish uh, Song of Redemption, I've got to write that novella, and then I'm going to go out to Vegas um, and spend a couple of days with Jeff while we hash out probably at least six more books. Okay, that's a the universe. Three, it's all going to be one arc. Each book is a separate book. You don't you don't have to read this next one to know what happened in the first book, and each group of three 
is a separate arc. So we've got nine individual arcs. Ah, you're using three the arcs, method. Which, yeah, which is, a, yeah, actually, yeah. So if, you, if you're listening and you don't know what that means, uh, her Heralds of Valdemar world is probably 30 plus books, but it's most of it is written in trilogies where she wrote a trilogy, then she wrote another trilogy, and it's all in the same universe and it all interconnects, but they're also all freestanding. So they're all standing, but book three leads to book four. So yeah. it's not a break. It's uh, not a break, but he but it is this arc. Really great. This arc is is our bad guys are for these three are not the same bad guys for the next three. Okay. They aren't gonna be the same bad guys as in the seven, eight, nine. Keeps it from being after that, it just sort of depends. And what we feel like and what the readers feel like. If so, they're loving it as much as they're loving these, these two, heck, and my girls go to Harvard. <laughs> uh, so what of all the technology that you guys created for this would you want and keep want to keep for reals for and bring into real life? The augments. And would you abuse it? Yep. <laughs> Okay, Jared wants to know how I can tell already. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I've been up too long for that. Don't laugh like that. Well, I'm just. All right, he's uh, a married man, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah. All right. So we'll Going move on. There. All right. So, um, Siska, you get to ask him your favoriteest question before we wrap this up about the aliens. Yay! So, when you go about creating your aliens for this universe, did you let nature inspire you? Did they come out whole cloth? Did you just haven't gotten to deciding on what they look like yet? So you don't these know. ones, I, well, uh, are they have been they have been seen? Okay. Normally, you're they're in uh, armored, different kinds of armored. A cross between some of them are like tanks, some of them are more like a, a, a kind of mech, but we've never seen because they self-destruct if they lose. Mm -hmm. So all okay. we've been able to do is gather molecules and stuff like that. Um, we have seen now a body, and uh, they're an ancient race on the downhill. And that's about all I want to say about them in particular because well don't give away any spoilers yeah, part of it is we don't know what's motivating them yet and why they are doing it and so this this was probably whole cloth uh, my other aliens um more nature coming out of nature uh i i try to be and i i try to really think of the physiological the, the science of physiology and all that kind of stuff with my aliens. And I think all my aliens have been enigmatic, at least initially. Um, I love my aliens, not my first aliens. I love my second aliens in my UFMC. And they are sort of bird-like. Um, mm -hmm. And I did definitely look at nature for them. Um, yeah, I, I think this one, though, they're a whole cloth. However, if you stick around long enough, 
uh, and we get to, oh, and I have uh, for my, um, uh, for my Alliance and that series, um, that was a amoeba, a giant amoeba, the blob, the TV, that all, that all 1950s science fiction, the one that kind of came over and blobbed everybody. Uh, that was just a giant protozoa. Okay. Something that's not what I, what I dislike when I'm reading is this. <laughs> I, I'm going to really upset somebody here now. Is some of the Star Wars aliens? Now I know they're doing it because you got to put you got to be able to film it, and it's easy to put a mask on somebody and 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 film that. Or a forehead ridge on Star Trek. Yeah, a forehead ridge on Star Trek. Now that's an alien. Um, and I understand you're doing it for TV and movies. You have to do that. But if you're writing a book, you can make the alien different. I mean, Highland had the big bugs, you know, the bugs fighting. Okay, that's different. I like that. Grossman had Dr. Blanket. Yep. I like that stuff. Uh, I don't want to see – I read a horrible, horrible – well, I won't say the name of the book. I read a book that I really disliked. And in this book, the author thought that he was being clever when basically everybody is basically humanoid, uh, except that the males of the other, one of the other species were really the females. They, they look completely male. And the females, who look completely human female, were really the males. And so then you could all get in bed together with the aliens. And I'm like... Oh, and they all do this. Every alien in the universe does thumbs up. Just like, Come on. You know, you're not making a movie or TV show where you have a budget to think about back before all that CGI. You know, you're writing something. Give me an alien. Fair enough. I like it when people get uh, atypical. So like um, Jack Campbell, John Henry has used. Um, a buddy of mine. Class, he's, he's, Naval he's, Academy, class 78. He's, uh, he's another one of the autism parents out there. So, you know, we, we've talked. Um, so he used like a giant, essentially a, a teddy bear almost. Uh, Scott Bartlett has used a, a cow that was, was the alien race. And so I, I like it when they get creative on races you wouldn't think. And then see Crispin. I, in, in Recruit, the alien, the first alien is kind of like a teddy bear. But I, I just like it because it's not what you expect. Like, oh, it's a cute, cuddly teddy bear that's murderous. <laughs> so, all right. So we've been on for uh, an hour and 20 minutes-ish. And if, really uh, if if I don't shut up, um, Seska's going to murder me because she's, she's worked all day. So um, is there anything you want to tell us about this series um, and the book One Sentence to War that we didn't ask before we wrap this up? No, I think we covered enough. To hopefully pique a little bit of interest. It's uh, like I said, it's on there, uh, out there on Am. It's only on Amazon. It's not wide, uh, but hopefully, people will give it a shot. I know Jeff at one point had talked about taking his paperbacks wide. That was on his uh, long-term plan because there's no reason not to. Yeah, I yeah, uh, I'm wide with my paperbacks too. I but, just um, like wide with I stuff, like right? anything that gets books people reading. Yeah, I went wide with recruit, and that's why it's free. Um, just hopefully bringing in people. Uh, I'm wide with about uh, probably about six or seven books. I'm wide. 
What about uh, audiobooks? Any audiobooks coming out for this series? Uh, yes. Uh, it's at the editors right now. Uh, and then oh, outstanding. The second book has been uh, done. It's starting in a couple of weeks, I guess. So did you sign that with Podium or Tantor or Blackstone? No, we didn't. Uh, we're doing it with Variant, with uh, Jeff's company. Oh, okay. So to do it ourselves. Nice. Cool. Can you can you tell us who the narrator is, or is that still top secret? Uh, I don't think it's secret, but I can't. <laughs> I, I'm not, the, only, the only name I know for a narrator is Mike Bray. And... <laughs> and I've got, I don't even remember the narrators who did my books. Well, Jim <laughs> okay. Carlos Esposito. Okay. I know. I remember that one. Because you were really psyched about that. Yeah, I sure was. All right. Well, before we let you go, can you, uh, Jonathan Brazy, can you tell our listeners and viewers how they can find you? Well, if they go to Colorado Springs and come down my drive, oh, in, uh, <laughs> uh, you can look up jonathanbrazy.com. J O well, there's my name right there. Uh, that's my website. I'm also on Facebook uh, with a regular Facebook and my author Facebook, and uh, it's probably the best way. All right, and we'll put all of those in the show notes. And um, please don't go to his driveway unannounced. His wife might be really, really <laughs> mad at him. And again, we don't want him to her to murder him because we want him to finish this series. Because <laughs> you know we've got priority. I mean, we care about your health too, but we've got priority. Oh, well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> so you can find us on our website, which is anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Our Facebook group is facebook.com backslash blasters and blades podcast if you want to throw some some uh credits in the tip jar you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley and just put in the comments it's for the podcast and it'll get funneled right to uh funding us over here on Streamyards because that ain't free so saska can you bring us home okay well thank you for joining us on behalf of the uh donut loving nick garber jr hanley and myself um I was doing really well. And then I, I, I breathed. Um, sorry, guys. It's been late. Um, this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week. Same time where we indulge our love of all things nerdy, geeky, things that go boom, and the just ADD that we do. And can I add one last thing? Uh -uh. Sure. If anybody is interested, I've got 10 panels over the next four days for North Northwest Con. Oh, wow. Northwest Con 43. So there's a lot of good panels. Go take a look. And if you want to see any of the other ones, you could look me up and you'll see all my panels. Wonderful.